You are listening to episode six. This episode is brought to you by QuickBooks, which is one of the best apps for starting entrepreneurs. I've literally been using this app since I launched my business, and it has helped me, who doesn't have an accountant brain, to keep my books in order and to send them in an organized fashion to my accountant. So I recommend it to anyone who is trying to launch a business and is doing that as a solopreneur or entrepreneur. On today's episode, I get to interview Mayowa Balogun. He runs the company Beam, and Beam is an entity that covers music, entertainment, management, real estate, and many other industries. And you get to hear about it right here on this episode. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fian O'Brien. Hello, welcome to the Okiki Podcast. And on today's episode, I am interviewing Mayowa Balogun, who is the CEO and founder of Beam. And yeah, uh, he's a young entrepreneur. He manages his company in many different countries. So thank you so much for coming today for this interview. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So can you tell us a bit about your career path and your educational background? Um, So... Well, my name is Mayo Balagu, first of all. Um, I just turned 26 this month, actually. Um, oh, happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It's about three weeks ago now. It was August 5th. But um, yeah, um, I was born in Nigeria. I moved to America when I was 16 to go to school. Um, and then I moved to Canada when I was 23, I think. 22, 23. But um, so I started going to school first. For, I, so I went to school in Nigeria. In Nigeria, when you go to high school, um, you have to pick what you want to do in college. So in Nigeria, high school in Nigeria, three years of, of junior high and three years of senior high. When you're in senior high, you got to pick either science or art or humanities or something like that. So if you want to be a doctor, you go to science class. If you want to be an engineer, you go to a different class, technical class or whatever. If you want to be an artist or a history major, you go to arts class or something like that. So, you know, I was going to be an engineer. So I went to technical class. I did all the physics. Electricity, all that kind of stuff, TD, technical drawing, all that kind of stuff. But um, so I went to I came to America in 2010 to go to school to be an engineer. Um, but then I think I found a different path in my life. I was always entrepreneurial. You know, I got that from my mom. My mom is a big entrepreneur, um, so I always had that in my in my system. So I, I was always trying to do different things in my life. And when I came to America, um, I just wasn't content with going to school. I don't know why. I just was, I wanted to get money on the side and do different things here and there. So I used to sell stuff on eBay. I stole like phones. I fixed, I fixed phones. I unlocked Blackberries for people. Wow. Different things like that. Um, and then, but I also, um, 
when I moved to America, I, I, I used to, um, it was hard for me to, I, I was, I was very connected to Nigerian music when I was in Nigeria. So when I, when I moved here, I was like, man, I need to be able to find a way to keep up with like the music from Nigeria. At the time in Nigeria, um, there wasn't, iTunes wasn't very big. Yeah. I had app, but it wasn't like, people weren't buying songs on iTunes or like, it wasn't charged, it wasn't streaming at all. Um, and so there probably was, but it wasn't in Nigeria. It wasn't, it wasn't, and you know, so we used to have CDs for music. And um, I had to like watch TV or listen to radio and stuff like that. So I was scared how I would keep up with my, like keep up with the music if I wasn't in Nigeria. So on the first couple of months, I used to actually just go to YouTube every day and just search all the songs I knew when I was in Nigeria and try to hope that I would get suggested by, you know, to other songs. And then I found out about a website called notjustoki.com, which was a blog for Nigerian music. I had all the new stuff on there. And I became a big fan of the of the website. I used to be there every single day, you know, streaming all the new songs. And I was very excited about it. There was another one, Tokili Lounge. Um, those were the two guys, the two websites that were putting on Nigerian music online first. This is 2010. It was a very, very new concept for Nigerian music. Um, but they were the pioneers in the space. So, you know, I was the big fan of both of them. You know, I followed them on Twitter. I, you know, I, I found out all who were all the bloggers on the website. From there, I started my own blog. Because I just felt like, you know, I had to be a voice too for the artists, especially the upcoming artists. Because at the time, if you weren't like established in Nigeria, you weren't getting on those blogs. You know, if you, if you got on those blogs, you were established. Everybody knew who you were. So a lot of the upcoming artists who were established now, they didn't have a platform to get their music out online. Um, so I started my own blog in 2010, a couple months after I moved to America. And um, I did that for a year and a half, I think. And then I, uh, and then again, like I said, I was following every people, all the, all the people. So I used to bug them on Twitter, be like, hey, you know, listen to my friend's song, whatever, whatever. So um, after like a year of doing that, you know, they kind of know who I was online. And so one day I messaged one of the, the lead editors and not just, okay, I'm like, hey, listen, if you ever need the extra hand for your website, you know, let me know. Um, and he didn't get back to me, I think, for six months. It was a long time. And then uh, maybe it's close to a year, he didn't get back to me. So I messaged him in like 2011. And then, 2012 January, he just messaged me back randomly on Twitter. He's like, hey, you know, how have you been? You know, I just want to get that job. I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? This is my dream job right now. And so uh, he's like, oh, send me your blog. So I sent him my blog. You know, he's like, oh, you have good stuff. You're a good writer, blah, 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 blah. You know, I wish you got on the call tonight. So we get on the call. He, 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 he talks to me. He puts his CEO on there. And they're like, oh, we like your work. You're, you know, you're doing very good. And we think you're going to be a good uh, addition to the team. So that day, I, that's, I got my first, I guess, industry, major Nigerian industry music gig. Um, and that day, once they the next day, I got announced officially wow. as a member of the website, as a, as a blogger. And uh, I got like a thousand followers that first day because all the, <laughs> all the, all the, all the publicists and stuff who used to work for Nigerian artists, that's, they want to know all the bloggers. At the time, the blog, mm. blogging was the biggest thing in Nigerian music. Because from 2010 to 2012, that's when the internet exploded in Nigeria. Um, that's when everybody, everybody started getting smartphones. People started you know, listening to music on their phones and things like that. So, like, the blogs were big. And I used, I used to give out free downloads for music. So, everybody used to go there to get their music. Um, so, it was it was very, it was, it was, a big, it was a big part of the industry at the time. And uh, as soon as I got the job, everybody started following me because everybody wanted to get their songs. All the artists who were trying to get their songs on there, all the publicists, managers. So, I got a lot of, you know, that's how I got my first, I guess, wave of credibility for yeah. me. I think it's still the biggest. Um, career boost that I've had so far. I've had a lot. I've done. I've done things after that, but like 
that one was a big jump for me because I got I was I wasn't obscure. I was kind of, right. I knew what I, when I was in the space already, but like that was a big was a big job. It's like getting your first big job, right? So I, I you know I, I became very very instantly credible. I became people that someone, uh, someone else people wanted to know mm. and like be around and you know try to basically I was I became like a gatekeeper. Right? So people want to be around you and like pander and be like you know be like that. So like so from there I got that job. Uh, I did it for a year. It's close to two years, I guess. And I did it for close to three years, actually. I did it for the first year. I enjoyed it. Then after the second year, I started... I, started, I, wasn't, I wasn't finding fulfillment there because I wasn't getting promoted. When I got the job, they told me I was, you know, was going to be on promotion for a while and I was going to get promoted and start getting paid and stuff like that. But I never got promoted and I never got paid. So, you know, I started thinking... I'm like, damn. And then I... And I always thought about it. I'm like, man, like, what, what, is, what is my career as a blogger? Like, what am I... What is the way... Like what is the what is my ceiling, right? Because so I look at all the bloggers, right? Um, at the time in Nigeria, if you didn't have your own massive blog, so like we have, like the owner of Legends, okay, for example, he was a big dog, you know, because he had the biggest blog in the country. But I was I was working for him. Like, what are my options? My options are to quit the job, start my own, start my own blog again, and try to compete. I, I didn't think that was a good strategy to go with, and I just didn't think blogging was. The, I didn't think it was that fun of a yeah. job for me to keep doing for, yeah. you know, forever and ever. So I was like, man, I need to find a way out of it. And again, I was getting promoted because after a while, mm-hmm. if you're a blogger, it becomes very redundant. I don't know if, you, if you've ever been around before. But you, have to, you, have to, you have to deliver to so someone who posts every day, all that kind of stuff. You have to, you know, and it's just like, uh, boring. <laughs> uh, so, but, um, but I was scared to leave the job because um, my credibility at the time was tight to, I think, 80% of my, like, Whoever knew me in the industry knew me as a blogger for that website, right? So I was like, man, if I quit this job, everybody will not. And the industry is very fickle. Nobody likes you for you. People like you for what you can give them. So I was like, man, if mm. I leave this job now, <laughs> I'm not going to have any more credibility. Everybody's going to follow me on, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not going to be able to be in the industry anymore. And I'm like, so, so, I, so I held on for like an extra year. Um, just trying to, you know, just trying to, to figure out what I was going to do. I'm just going to stay around there and keep my credibility and my clout or whatever. Um, but um, at some point in, in the last year when I was there, I started going to shows and events. Um, and then I started, you know, connecting with promoters and stuff in America. I used to bring out artists to on tours and for shows and stuff like that. And then I started working with them. So I did that for, I think, six months, you know, and that became a thing on the side for me too that I became popular doing. I started doing my own shows. I mean, I started doing shows, working with the big promoters and stuff, you know, going on tour with them, the artists, you know, picking them up from the airport, doing all, doing all the logistics, making sure they ate, taking them to the hotels, taking them to the shows. Uh, and at the time too, I met my first artist that I managed because at the time he was opening for all these artists that used to come on tour in America, Dallas and Houston and all those places. So as well, so me and, me and him went to the same school. In America, so we used to we used to go together to the shows. I'm like, huh, I'm a blogger. Um, I'm, I promote a bit on the side for artists that have that are from Nigeria and stuff like that. So you know, I have some credibility. I know some people in the industry, so I, you know, I, I probably would be a good manager. And so I started managing the guy, helping him book shows and openings and stuff like that, helping him put his music on blogs. And uh, that's how I kind of started my own company. So that this all this was between twenty. 11 and 2014 and and in 2015 i was managing i think i was managing my artist last giddy for a year um and i was like you know what this is i think i can have a i think i want to do this full time with my life like this is there's a lot of upside so as opposed to blogging where i didn't see any upside management i saw a lot of upside and then when i look back to 
who I am as a person and what I what uh, influenced me growing up. I always liked to be behind the scenes. I didn't like to. I, I didn't want to be an artist. I didn't have any interest in being famous. Um, mm. I liked. I liked to be behind the scenes. I was always interested in, in how things worked. So if I saw like a show or the Grammys or like a movie, I always thought about mm. like what work did he put in to get the movie out. Like so, I was, I was, I was always the guy who was worried about what happened behind the scenes to make what we see be reality. So even when I used to go to shows, I didn't. I didn't want to go to shows to. To go mm. see the artist perform, I wanted to be backstage, seeing how they set up the show, seeing how you know mm. everything came together, how the artist did their sound check, things like that. So that's why, like, yeah, I, I never went to a show until I started going to go work. Like, I never paid money to go to a show. I started the first show I went to. I was working behind the scenes, uh, so I always liked those kind of things. And I then I thought about you know when I used to watch documentaries of like popular um, athletes or like uh, artists who, who became broke or whatever. You know, do, you know, they had they made whatever hundred million dollars mm-hmm. in their career, and they end up being bankrupt, and nobody cares about them. I used to be like, damn man, like who's who's representing them? Like why? Yeah, will somebody work? Right? Like why would somebody work their whole life, um, give their whole life to a career? And people who are artists or athletes, they work literally their whole life. That's all they chase. Mm. And um, nobody. And if you don't have the right people in your corner taking care of you and you know looking out for your interests and things like that, you know, you might end up being broke or like committing suicide or whatever so i so i used to have i always had a soft spot for artists and mm. people like that and then being represented you know and also i have a very big interest in financial in financial education and financial responsibility which is another thing that a lot of artists and creative people don't care about um just all those so when i looked at my life all those things coming together me caring about mm-hmm. people not wanting them to get cheated or misrepresented me caring about financial health and financial stability and responsibility you know um, having all the connections that I had at the time, I'm like, man, I think I can have a good career being a manager, you know. And so I started my company in 2015. Officially registered the first uh, the American uh, the American the American subsidiary company in 2015. Um, I was in school the whole time, but I wasn't going to school. Honestly, I was I used to be in school maybe one or two days a week. I used to travel all the time, go do shows, all this kind of thing. So I was in school. But then mm. when you live in America and you come with a student visa. Um, you, if you're not in school full time, you're gonna be you're gonna be illegal alien. So you have to kind of register for school full time every semester. So I was registering for school, paying the fees. My parents were paying the fees, but I wasn't going. To, I wasn't. I was doing enough not to get suspended. <laughs> but I, I, would get, I would get on probation, or whatever. So I was in good standing the whole time, but I wasn't. I wasn't going far. Like I was going around in circles basically for like two years, two or three years. Um, so 2015, I just you know I told my mom, I'm like, listen, I think I want to do this full time. I'm not going to be an engineer. It doesn't look like that's my path. I've been holding on to it for a long time. I tried to be an engineer for five, six years, honestly. Uh, I held on to it for a long time. I was like, man, mom, listen, this is not what I want to do in my life. I don't want to be an engineer. I'm just going to drop out of school. And I think whatever comes with it, I want to be a manager full-time. I want to you know, help artists. I want to start my own company and things like that. And uh, she was mad, but she was like, you know what you're... I, so I didn't tell her before. I told her after I dropped out of school. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, she couldn't change that. The, the, what I did so it was like I guess man you know find your way and then uh, eventually after a couple of months I moved to Canada and ironically for me I had, I had to restart my whole thing again because so I built up my reputation in, in, in the industry in many ways but I also I also built up a lot of reputation in like in Texas because I used to live here so I was doing all the shows in Texas I knew all the artists when they came here I took them around and I moved to Canada it was a whole new whole new country a whole new territory and my man I gotta restart again here when I came, I was really very experienced, right? And uh, Canada is a if 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 you if you in the industry for Afrobeats and things like that, Canada is a very yeah. um, 
it's a fresh market in many ways. And I moved to Windsor, so Windsor, Ontario is it's even it's even green. It's, it's very very green. There's nothing was going on there. They barely had any parties yeah. for, for any African parties. So it was like man. So when I came there, I, I came from a place like Texas, where Texas is like a, a subsidiary of Nigeria. It's, there's a whole Nigerian life here. Um, it's literally, you like if you live in Texas, you don't have to interact with any American people at all. You can go to African restaurants, you can go to right, African clubs, right. you can work for African people. Like Africans yeah. are a big part of the community here. And so you can live a full African life. I pulled back and forth, Houston and Dallas. I lived in Houston, I lived in Dallas. Um, but both those cities have a lot of Nigerian and African community. And the community is established in every aspect of the life there. So from the politics to the to the wealth, to the finance, to the corporate life, to the entertainment structures, everything is Africans everywhere. So you can live like a full African life in Texas and not notice that you're in America, except you know for some racism and stuff like that. <laughs> so Canada is basically like America. Twenty years. Canada is maybe. I think in every in, when I look at development or like immigration and things like that, Canada is maybe 10, 20 years behind America. So it's the same. It's just so there's a time America was the way Canada is now when they were trying to get everybody to come to the country and we're giving out, there used to be a thing called visa lottery. So a lot of Nigerians who are here now came in the lottery. So you basically applied like actual lottery and you got to, and if, and if you won the lottery, you, you got a, you got your green card, which is the equivalent of a PR card in Canada now. Right. Um, so a lot of Nigerians came to America in the nineties and eighties mm. through a lottery. And then, too many people started coming and then they started cutting it off. Mm. So Canada is going through that same thing now today. So a lot of Nigerians are coming now mm. and there's a system where you can apply to get a, it's called express entry. So you apply, if you, if you had, a, if you went to, if you had a degree, you worked or whatever, or you went to school, you can apply and come straight to Canada as a PR. Mm. Um, or if you went to school in Canada now, you, you don't have to go back to Nigeria. So in America now, if you go, if you go to college here, it's hard for you to stay. You have to get a job that, that is willing to file for, for status for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Canada is a bit different. Canada now, you can as long as you go to school in Canada, you can stay, get mm. a job, right? Mm. Um, well, so Canada is kind of behind America in that way, because America has gone through that before. Mm. So ultimately, what's going to happen in Canada soon, I think, is that eventually a lot of people are going to move and they're going to say, "Hey, we don't need, we don't need any more people." And they're going to make immigration <laughs> yeah. law is much more stringent, and it's already happening slowly now. Um, mm. But anyway, so so for me. Uh, I felt like the people who moved to America in the 1980s, right? So they had to build a community. So the community that I enjoy in America in, in Dallas or Houston today, people like our parents' age, that's what they built because they came here in the 80s and 90s and they had to start from scratch and make the first African restaurants and make the first African clubs or whatever and do the first show and do the first tours. So I felt kind of like that moving to winter. I'm like, hey, man, um, this is because it's kind of a new ground. Nothing much going on here. Mm. And... Um, I felt like I had a lot of experience. I'd worked for a lot of people, I'd, uh, you know, and I know a lot of things. So I'm like, you know, I can be the guy to, or one of the people to kind of bring that same community um, mentality or whatever to Windsor specifically, right. and then ultimately, ultimately Canada. And so, because the first month I was there, I'm like, I, I need to move to Toronto because Toronto is much more. Toronto is closer to Houston or Dallas. Mm. There's a lot of Nigerians there. There's a lot of the Canadians is very, very active there. Mm. Uh, but Windsor is not. Windsor is not as much. But I was like, man, if I move to Toronto, um, I'll be one of maybe 20 people doing the same kind of thing, you know, which is fine. Um, but in a place like Windsor, there's nobody doing anything here. There's nobody trying to do shows or, you know, or put a big community together or, you know, just all that kind of stuff. So I was like, you know, I'm going to stay in Windsor. 
and try to, you know, be that guy who kind of develops that community in Windsor. So I started doing that. Um, I, I did comedy shows. So and then for me too, as a, yeah, for me too, as a, as an entrepreneur. So when I was in Dallas the whole time, I didn't have my, I had my own company for, and I was managing artists, but as a promoter of, as, as, a, as, as someone doing, you know, producing shows or producing events, I wasn't doing my own events fully. I was working for people who do an event, right? Um, and so for me, when I moved to Windsor, it was a new challenge for me because I was like, man, now I can do my own events. You know, because so when you work, so when you work for somebody, right, you always kind of see things that you think are flaws in what they do. So it's like, oh, this guy didn't do this or didn't do that. They could have done this better. They could have, you know, did this. So I was like, you know what? Now that I'm in Windsor and I have the freedom to do what I want to do, I can implement uh, my own ideas the way I want to implement them. Because when I work for somebody and I say, hey, you should do this or you should do that, I don't have the final say, right? So when I move to Windsor, I'm like, hey, you know what? It's a challenge for me now to all the things I've been talking about and advising people and saying, hey, you know, boss, do this, do that. I can do it on my own and see if it's going to actually work. So let me see if I can put my money where my mouth is, right? So you know, I started doing my own things in Windsor. I did my first show. Uh, I started doing parties and things like that. And uh, I got into it like that. And I've kind of been going like that for you know, till now. And um, and obviously, in, in, in the middle of that, too, I was managing artists. I, I added in two more clients. Um, and I've just kind of been going like that. For, and I went back to school, got my degree. Um, so a lot of things have happened since I moved to America. But uh, ultimately, I've just kind of been moving towards just developing my company, developing my brand, being more credible in the industry, you know, growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And so that's kind of what my story is. Hmm. That is so, so interesting. There's so many factors to that. Um, wow. So I guess I wanted to ask what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? I think it was in my blood, honestly. It's, 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 it was in family. I just think that's what it is. My mom, as an entrepreneur, she never worked. Uh, she worked for people, but barely. Like, she barely worked for anybody. She's been doing her business since she was 25. So since I was born, like, I see my mom <laughs> pregnant with my little sister, and she was driving five, six, eight hours in Nigeria. Wow. Went to go get deals done. Like, literally, my mom <laughs> was breastfeeding my uh, my little sister in an exam, like, trying to get a certification or whatever. And she took the exam. My sister was, like, three weeks old, and she took her to the exam hall, she was best friend and doing an exam. And she actually she, she took my sister to like the market when she was young and, and the north is very dusty. So it was like she, my mom is very, she's a consummate entrepreneur. And so I've, I've always kind of had that to look to look, to look look at. And my family, my family too has a lot of my uncles, aunts, you know. And just being Nigerian too, like in Nigeria, it's, it's not advisable to, to just have your job and just stick to it. Like everybody in Nigeria is always thinking, what can I do on the side? That's that's a basic Nigerian thing. Being a Nigerian, no matter what you want to do, is like, okay, what, am I, what is my side business? What is my side hustle? Like? So even the people who want to go to school and get a job in Nigeria have something they do on the side. So that's just kind of what we grew up knowing and just being around. It's just like, oh, what are you doing for yourself? You know, so we always had that kind of thing. So I always had it too. And then my mom kind of, even though I watched her doing what she did, she also kind of made us some, um, always think in that light too. So for example, when I was nine, there's a book that grew, that became very popular. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. Uh, my mom made me read that book when I was nine in Nigeria. Wow. And, and it's crazy because I read the book. So I read it the first time. I didn't obviously understand what was going on because the systems that I talked about in that book, uh, American and uh, Western systems. So mm. growing up in Nigeria, you don't even, those are the, most of those things that don't even apply to Nigerian 
ideology at all. But some basic things that apply there that stand out, things like what is an asset, what is a liability. Um, if you work for somebody, you're going to be limited forever. If you don't do your own thing, there's a limit to your success and your wealth. Or whatever. So things like, so little concepts like that, I had in my mind since I was eight or nine, just because I read that book. You want to understand what the actual ideas or the concepts of the book were. So when I read the book again, uh, four or five years ago, I was like, man, it's so crazy how much the book influenced me. Um, and so, so things like that, just being around those kind of people and just having that mindset, you know, it kind of pushed me to that. I, I feel like that, and that's what it, that ultimately what it did. I, I feel like I had no other choice. That's what I had to do. You know, and it's kind of like a calling. You know, some people are called to be pastors or whatever, and you just get called to be an entrepreneur. And it's not the easiest path to pick because it's way easier to just go to school and get a job, honestly. It's way more stable. Most people just are happy to just do that. And you can live a happy life just you know, just going through the system, right? The, the exact way that's built for you, you know. But um, some people have that extra drive to just kind of make the changes happen themselves and implement it on their own. And that's, you know, I guess that's what we chose to do. So we have to do it. Hmm, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I know you talked about this a little bit before. Um, I was going to ask, what was your scariest moment in launching your business? And I know you were talking about the blog and um, the fear of leaving that, leaving that. Yeah, so that was, I, I think that was my scariest moment, actually. Like trying to live in the, I've had a lot of scary moments, honestly. Uh, but I think when you look at it, I think that was one of the moments where it's like, man, listen, you know. <laughs> It's like getting a divorce. It's, you, know, you have to go restart. So it's like, man, I, you know, and everything you've built, and that's and that's and this, this is the other thing about working for people and not being your own person, because everything you build when you work with somebody, you don't have much control over, right? So some, I have a friend who works at a salon. Right? She's a hairdresser right now, mm. and um, she was telling me about how the boss was was kind of getting on her nerves, and she's trying to move. But now she's not gonna. She can't take a client with her when she when she's leaving. So if she le- if she if she left uh, the store that she's working at now, she won't be able to move her clients to, to her to her own store that she that she starts. She has to go build new clients, or at least it will take her a lot of a lot of work energy to actually transfer her clients from the old store to to her own store that she's doing because they are loyal to the owner of that store. Okay, and that's and that's the thing about working with people too. Um, when you, when you work for people and you work on that system that somebody else is that somebody else built, they own the system and they own most of what you're working for. Yeah. So that's what it is. So, you know, so that was a scary moment for me when I when I left not just okay, but you know, again, I think even as an entrepreneur, there's gonna be <laughs> scary moments basically every other day. So you have to eventually get used to it. And you move and you just kinda keep going and roll with the punches. Yeah. Oh, that's a great answer. And it's so true. Like that's usually the biggest jump, you know, going from predictable to um, the not predictable. I feel like entrepreneurship is a little bit like investment, right? You could pick investing in a fund that's more stable and more secure, or you could go exactly. for that high risk. You can go for the high risk, high reward. One. Yeah. <laughs> you high know? risk, high reward. <laughs> for sure. Um, and I wanted you to explain um, the entity of Beam because there's so many facets to it. So I just wanted you to explain that to our audience and give them an understanding of why it's in so many countries and what exactly that company is. So I'm, I'm going to start with so many countries. I've lived in so many countries, right? And um, if you if you want to do a business or anything like that, the first thing that you learn that you get taught, even just 
anybody who's trying to be rich or wealthy, first thing you learn is to incorporate every time. The first thing you st- that's the base, that should be the base of anything you do. You have to have a company. Because basically, just even in, in a place like North America, if, you, if, you have, if you're doing a business and, you, and it's in your name, um, <laughs> and, you, and, there's, and there's, you get sued for, you get sued or you get, you get any issues like liability, they can take your business if it's in your name. So if I, if I hit a car, for example, when I was driving, and the lady sued me, and I had a silent again, for example, I had like a, a store that was in my name, not a company name, and I got sued by a lady that I hear when I drove. She could sue me, and she could take what my company owns because it's my name. So just liability alone. The first thing you learn is if you're going to start the business or start anything, incorporate it, make it a corporation. Because a corporation is almost in, 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 in uh, a corporation. And, and, and a company is basically a living person to the government. So the government looks at the company the way they look at you as a separate human being, basically. Um, so the first thing I learned is, hey, you're going to start a new company, register it, incorporate it, you know, pay your taxes, things like that. So that's why I've, and I've lived in three different countries. I've lived in Nigeria, so I have, I have a company in Nigeria. I've lived in Canada, same thing. I've lived in America, same thing. So I have companies everywhere I've lived. Um, and then the other thing too, so when I started Bean, so Bean is my full name. It's, my, it's actually my initials. So it's Balaga. The E is my name, that's from my mom's side. I don't say that name at all, but publicly. My A is my middle name, Albert, and the M is my own. So, so it's actually my name. And so, even though the first company I registered was a was a company was an entertainment company, I always knew that the company would represent me and my interests as a person. So, I'm an entrepreneur. Even though I, even though my passion is music and things like that, as an entrepreneur, you're always chasing the next idea or the next goal. There's no there's no limit to what you can do, right? Um, so I always knew that going forward in my life, any, anything, I, anything I wanted to do, I was going to do too. My company represents so so Beam represents me as a company. So I'm the human being. My Beam is the, the company version of me, mm. right? And so everything I'm going to do in my life is going to go through Beam in one way or other. So I'm go, so right now I have subsidiaries of my company. Um, so what, what I did the, last year, I registered I registered a, a, a holding company called Beam Group. So Beam Group is the company that holds all my little, all the little companies. So I have Beam Entertainment, Entertain, which is the entertainment company. I have Beam Logistics, which is like a logistics company. We'll get into it in a, in a second. I have, um, which one I want? Um, I'm trying to get into tours and travel. Um, so different things like that. It's, so I have, man, I have management. I'm going to get into sports eventually too. Um, yeah. So different things like that. And um, ultimately... I think for me, again, like I said, so it sounds like it's a lot, but not a lot. It's not a lot for me because everything I'm telling you about now, I'm, I'm involved in. So I traveled a lot, for example. So in the last year, I traveled. I tried travel a lot for shows or tours, whatever. And when I travel, I, I try to make sure that I do some sightseeing, things like that, take some pictures. Because of that, people know. People, I have a lot of people that follow me on my Instagram, or whatever. They know me as a traveler. Mm. They don't know what they don't know what I do. They don't know why I travel. They just think I just travel all the time, right? <laughs> and and they follow me because of that, right? And they and so I have a little brand just because of that as a travel guy, right? And so what I started to do last year was I started to, I started to document my trips. So now if I'm if I'm going somewhere and I can afford to, I fly a photographer with me to take pictures or a videographer to document, like to do videos, right? So I have that coming up, right? That's a little thing I'm gonna do. That's my that's, that I'm gonna focus on in the future much more and more. As I go ahead, um, also have the logistics thing. So again, 
as a young boy trying to get you know money here and there in Nigeria, Uber. The way Uber works, it doesn't it doesn't work the same way in Nigeria. So in Nigeria, if to here if you, to be an Uber driver, you just have to have a car, right? And you can use a car to do Uber in Nigeria. The drivers, the people who drive cars as a job, can afford to can afford the cars that Uber uh, requires mm. for them to drive. So what in Nigeria is a partnership. In Africa, most countries in Africa, that's how Uber works. They have a partnership where the car owners and the drivers split the fees. So someone who buys a car, they get a driver, the driver is the Uber driver, and then they split the, the revenue. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I got it. So, so as, as, again, as a young boy trying to you know think of ways to grow your, grow your finances and wealth, I got into that too. But yeah, I'm not going to get into it on a personal level. So I read, so registered a company for it, and that's what that's doing. And then as we go ahead and build different opportunities in the same logistics come up, things like delivering, you know, Somebody's traveling from Nigeria to America. They need someone to help them take their little box, you know, and they're willing to pay for it. For example, that's, a, that's an opportunity, right? Why not? Why not make a, a, a business out of it? You know, things like little things like that. And then also, um, again, again, just because I move back and forth to Nigeria and Canada and America, a lot of people want to move money from Nigeria to America. Mm. It's, it's hard. It's hard for, especially because of what happened two, three years ago with the economy. And, the, and the, the value of the dollar uh, naira crashing, you know, yeah. drastically. It was very hard to move money. There was a lot of restrictions, things like that. Someone like me, I have an account in Nigeria, I have an account in America. I have money in both accounts that that, that is sitting there. I don't need to use the money every single time. Someone needs eight thousand dollars in Canada. They want to pay me the equivalent in naira. All I have to do is get the money in Nigeria, give them a thousand dollars here. Again, that's also a business because that's literally that's always the union is doing. That's literally our business. That's what most of the, that's how banks look at a lot of their money is by more money like that, right? And, and then use your money to do it. So the, the bank uses money of the customers to, move, to, to make more other people's money. So it's like, hey, if I have money sitting in my account, why can't I sell it and buy and give? The, why can't I sell it and make a profit of the, of the transfer, right? So that opportunity came to me just because I have the access to both countries. Mm. And I'm like, hey, this is also a business. So I reached that company for that, right? So it's things like that. And um, so like I don't I don't go too far from the life that I live to go find a new idea. It's things that happen in my life. I think that come up that a lot of the things that come to me because I have access or I have something and someone's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to pay you to do this. I'm going to you know, or this, and I, this you know, I do this for me and I and I do it three, four, five, six, seven, eight times and I'm like, huh, uh, there's value in this. <laughs> so, so it can be a business. And so and and I'm saying this under my sign of warning, but. A lot of these things, and it's not, it's not like they're bringing me a million dollars today, right? Mm. But you never know. Exactly. And, 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 and never, I never know is one thing, but also all the things they add up and they develop and they become and they become eventually after a while. And you know, because we have plans for the future and things like that. And after a while, they become full on things on their own, and they develop into their own things, right? And um, but for me, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with getting the foundation right because what you don't want is an opportunity comes and then when you and then when you realize it's an opportunity you have to start going back to start trying to structure it from the bottom right what I, what I do is if I have an idea now I, even if I have a company even if the company is not active at all I register the company keep it there um, the day I need to use it actively it's going to be there and I already have that base I already paid the money to the lawyer I already got that whole base I file, even if it's, I don't make any money I file taxes every year and I file the zero dollars that I made this year for that company whatever is fine because I have the records there. And so the day it becomes an active company, 
I just like I, I just I just flow I just flow into the into the, into the rhythm instead of hey, this is blown up too fast and I have to go back to start getting all the records and all the and start trying to restructure it and it's going to take me years and years and years and paying accounting fees and lawyer fees to structure something that you know I'm basically going back to is was working backwards right so I, I like to have the foundation ready any time to move you know to take advantage of, of opportunities in the future right so that's kind of what uh, being is is for me but my biggest passion. Uh, the entertainment is the most active part of my business right now, and that's what I focus on personally. But even when you think about entertainment, for example, um, it's not just entertainment is, is 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 the result of a lot of things. So, for example, is entertainment lawyers, right? So, for 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 me to do a concert and bring Bonner Boy to Canada, for example, I have to work with a lawyer, I have to work with a booking agent, I have mm. to work with a with an accountant, I have to work with a bunch of people, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and the, the way I see it, there's no reason why at some point in my life, everything should not be in-house. I shouldn't mm-hmm. have to outsource. I shouldn't have to outsource to an accountant that doesn't work for me, or that, doesn't, that doesn't work in my company, right? right? I shouldn't have to pay a lawyer that doesn't work for me or that doesn't work with the company. So eventually, so all these little facets of, so and if you look at the way record labels work, they have their legal departments, they have accounting departments, they have PR departments, marketing departments, right? And for me, that's what I'm. That's what I dream about. So it's like eventually I have to have my departments, which are all basically little companies under my big entertainment company, hmm. that work independently on their own. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of what we. That's again. That's that's what the goal is for me to be a one stop for the company to be a one stop shop for entertainment. Hmm. And again, and and because of the way we structure and because of my passion specifically for artists to be taken care of, um, it's bigger than just music, the the music that you put out for me or whatever. Like I. Take my artists very personally. They are very close friends to me. I know their family. They know my family. Um, I care about their lives when they not do music. I care about if they're eating today, or if they're not paying their bills right, or if they have student loans that they're not paying right. You know, so I care about them as human beings, and I feel like that's the best way for management to be. It's not just oh, what music are you making? What are we putting out tomorrow? It's like literally, how are you doing as a human being? Do you understand? Yeah. Like. Very cool. Are you happy? Are you, you know, is that you understand? Like, yeah. What, what your girlfriend do to you yesterday that's making you mad? Because all <laughs> those things, they, because they're all together. That's the thing about life. Life is one. You understand? It's not a separate entity. Everything affects everything that you do in your life. Mm. There's no that you don't see. You, you can you can compartmentalize, but you everything affects everything. It's, it's cause and effect. So if yeah. you, if you're mad at your girlfriend today, it's going to show in your music, right? <laughs> and, and maybe we can take advantage of, of you being mad to make good music. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying still. At the end of the day, I'm not going to exploit your weakness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It won't, it won't exploit. It's going to be an exploitation that's done between me and you. And I still care about you having a happy life at the end of the day. So, you know, and for those things to happen, even things like therapy, for example, you know, we need to be, uh, music, uh, artists need therapy, you know, so that's something that eventually we're going to be, you're going to be a part of too, you know. Awesome. Education itself. So the music industry, there's a lot of, you know, that is a their management. So me, for example, I just I just did a course in, ma- in music management. I just finished literally two weeks ago. Right. So I got a, I got a music ma- management degree, postgraduate degree. Oh, awesome! Congrats. Business management. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so those kind of things, that training that I just took, and even all the things I've learned on my own before that, um, other people want to learn. There's other people that want to be like me, like be managers or be, or be marketing people, or PR people, whatever. And so far. Especially in Nigeria now, then now in North America, there's there's now degrees that you can do, because I think the, I think the labels have seen and the people have seen that you know this is people want to be in this career now. So back mm-hmm. in the day, you had to just kind of 
get an internship for like figure it out on your own and learn as you went. Now there's now training. So now, now in America, there's some schools that have four year classes for managers and two year classes for marketing people. Just hmm. to use it. Like, hmm. But in Nigeria, we're not there yet. Like, and so, so for me, I know that at some point we have to invest in that, in that education because people, everybody doesn't want to be an engineer or a lawyer. So people want to work in the industry. Definitely. Be able to learn the right ways to go about it. There's, there's a system that even though it's, it's a mad business, there's still a system that you can learn at least to keep you uh, on a good level, right? So so things like that. So again, everything adds up and that's kind of what my company is for me. It's kind of, it represents me in the corporate line and everything I do, I figure out a way where there's a business or a company that can be tied to that and I, I just kind of, I just kind of go like that. Yeah, um, I love uh, the explanation you had and there's a couple of things that came to mind actually as I was listening to you. I was thinking of like um, the entrepreneur Richard Branson, right? <laughs> and exactly right. So many different like types of companies going on. And I, I don't know of anyone as famous as him that has so many different companies that he manages, and right? And it's, it's funny so you say interesting that. to me just to mm-hmm. see how he does his life. And secondly, yeah, the fact that you actually care about your artists is huge. I mean, outside of Okiki podcast and my company, I, I'm a singer and songwriter. And um, I always get so floored by some of these stories of entertainers I loved, like Shirley Temple or Judy Garland, who literally Good. like were robbed out of years worth of money for the movies they made, right? And, Right. Um, even recently on YouTube, there was a documentary about the Backstreet Boys and their manager. Oh man, that's a crazy, that's a crazy and, one too. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just like thinking, like, how is this happening, and why are we just finding about it now, right? And these people who you think should be like loaded from like all the effort and tours and and hit songs they put out are like now telling you like all these struggles they went through and how down right. he really was. So I think it means a lot to have a manager who cares about the human actually creating the art and not just how they can exploit them for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And um, uh, you kind of touched on this already, like what you're, were you hoping to, yeah. So I guess I'll kind of combine it into a double question here. Um, why are you hoping to offer your industry or the industries, I guess, through your company? And what initiatives did you take to create this brand? Um, so, like I said, what I'm, what, so for me as a manager, I, I do feel like I'm, sp- I'm special because even when I talk to my colleagues and stuff like that, I'm invested in my artists on a personal level. And that's, I think for me, that's the, that's the biggest part of it for me that is very, um, that I think differentiates me personally. And so again, and I'm also very big on ownership. So these are two things that, so being, being a black person in America for, that, that, who lives in North America, for example, uh, being African, seeing how black people don't own anything anywhere. Um, I'm very big on ownership. So, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm very big on a, just being an economics major, you already know. That you know, if you do things by yourself, if you can get the value chain, if you control the value chain, you control the price, and you control everything, and you ultimately save money. So, if you look at companies like McDonald's, for example, mm-hmm. McDonald's is one. The McDonald's restaurant that you go to is one company, but they have different facets, mm-hmm. and they own all of those facets. So, they have a company that, that owns the land. Mm-hmm. They have a company that that, tra- that they have a company, a, a separate company that trains the employees, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, they have a company that supplies the food. They probably own the farms that they get the food from, or at least they have a big stake of ownership in those companies, right? So when you look at the value chain of, for McDonald's company that you go to, the, for a McDonald's restaurant that you go to, from a Walmart, um, there's not that much, there's not that much money that leaves the circle of that company. They control the whole chain from the bottom to the top, um, and that's how to have ownership and that's how to be to get wealthy and that's how to as a black person as, as black people that's how we need to be thinking it's ownership it's not just making money it's ownership it's literally owning every single level of the value chain right yeah um, and so i'm very big on that in the entertainment space um, and that's why i said like my come my, my goal is for the company to be a one-stop shop for an artist so if an artist is signed to be um they don't need to have any other any other thing that they need to do everything they need to do is within the company so if you need to if you need to go to a studio, we own the studio. If you need to go on tour, we can book your tours for you. If you need to get equipment, whatever. If you need to, if you need a financial advisor to help you manage your money, we should have all of that stuff within the company that you don't have to go out to hire somebody else to do for you. And, this, and that's good for two reasons. One is trust, because if you trust us to manage you, then you should trust us to take care of your every other part of your career, right? Second thing about that is uh, again. It's going to be cheaper for you to do because if so, for example, if an artist now has a manager, manager is taking twenty percent, right? Mm-hmm. Then you get then you get then you get a or oh, fifteen twenty percent, whatever. Then you get a booking agent, it's going to take five to ten percent. Mm-hmm. You get a then you get a marketing person, then you get a business manager, and they might take a percentage of your money too. So by the time you think about how much an artist is paying in taxes and paying all these people that work for them in the value chain of an artist's life, that ten million dollars they make a year is maybe four or three, right? But if your management covers all of that stuff, and let's say I'm charging you 30%, right? But I'm giving you all that stuff that you get from five different, six different companies or people that represent you. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're going to yeah, ultimately keep you more of your money. And it's cheaper for you. And it's cheaper for, it's cheaper for both of us to give, because again, because we own the value chain, mm-hmm. it's, it costs us less mm-hmm. to give you the same value. And it costs you less to get that value. And that's ultimately what we're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you made a really good point there. And um, I'm not sure, I could have growth both ways, but I've heard some recent statistics, <laughs> kind of when you talk about your mom, um, like African-American women, I think are like the fastest growing entrepreneurs uh, right mm-hmm. now in the States, um, from what I hear. And I think it goes mm-hmm. back to that idea of ownership, like you said, and like right. your friend, right? Like, oh, if I invest so much in this, what am I taking away from it? Um, what am I actually getting out of it when I leave this place? <laughs> if right. that's the goal. I guess not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, but if they do, they kind of have to think about that conceptually. So I, I like um, what you're getting at with that. And I guess, oh, I guess we're finally at our final question. Um, what do you value the most about being an entrepreneur? Um, I think ultimately it's, it's always always the freedom, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's the freedom, the freedom under control to define what you want to be and what you want to like, So basically as an entrepreneur, you, you define what you want to get, you define your level you want to get to, and, um, and you define what you want to do and your, how you, you know how you spend your time, you know, the level, you know how much you want to work or not work, you know, if you don't want to work that day, or just in general, for example. It's just, it's just the time, it's just the control that you have. And, uh, and, the, and ultimately, there's no limit. So limit, the limits are infinite as an entrepreneur. You can do literally, if you want to be Bill Gates, you can be Bill Gates as an entrepreneur. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, 
Thank you so much, Myla. And thank you for your insights and your wisdom uh, that you already have so much about, um, you know, creating businesses and incorporating <laughs> and so much vision. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to explain your story and your process and your journey to um, our audiences today. You're welcome. Always.